I invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of James. The book of James. Chapter 1. In the version uh, that we use, we use at Bethel, the, the New King James, it, it breaks at verse 20. Um, just seeing that it breaks here differently a little bit. Um, so it breaks at, uh, at verse 22. So we'll read down to the end of verse uh, 21. But let me just say um, before I begin um, reading this passage is we just this morning uh, began a sermon series in the book of James. So, so we're not going to be looking at uh, the first 21 verses of, of this passage. We're actually going to kind of limit our focus um, on verse 1. Um, but even at, even at that, we're going to probably be more looking at just a general overview of the book of James. I, I trust that this sermon can stand on its own. Um, on its own merits. Um, we're going to be looking at about 30,000 feet, if not even a little higher, as it comes to um, our understanding here of, of the book. Maybe, maybe you're well familiar with the, with the book of James. Maybe you're not familiar at all with the book of James. Um, but if you're not, then uh, trust that the Lord will, will um, guide us in our, in our study this evening, even with, with verse 1 being where we're going to limit our study. But I thought it would be good not just to read one verse uh, but, to, but to get a better sense and flow and understanding here of how God used James uh, to write this letter, this epistle uh, to the churches. Beginning at verse 1, this is the very word of God himself to you as people. We read, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ of the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also... Will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
We know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The word of God. Father, we ask that you will open our hearts to the reading and preaching of your word. Will you give Reverend Tombstone what he needs to boldly and clearly proclaim, proclaim that word? In our Savior's name we pray, amen. Amen. We have, uh, we have five children. We have, we have four boys, and inevitably we had lots of toys for the for the boys, we had a lot of boy toys when, uh, when, when we were uh, raising our kids. And, and one of the toys that we would have um, would be one of those little spin-up cars. If, if you know what, kind of, I, I don't know what the technical name is. I, I didn't do that kind of research for the sermon, so you'll have to forgive me on, on that point. But, but they'd be these little spin-up cars, right? And you, you just spin them. You probably know what I'm talking about, right? You particularly spin them on something, you know, hard. And, and you'd spin them up, and, you just, and you'd hold it like this, and the wheels would just go and go and go and go. Kind of go for a long time, as a matter of fact. You'd spin it up again, but then you'd put it on the ground. And it wouldn't go as long as when you just kind of held it up in, 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 in the air. Hold it up in the air, go for a long time. You put it on the ground, you, you make the rubber hit the road, so to speak. And, and there's that tension, right, from, from the ground. There's that resistance now. It's to drive against the ground. And it slowly impedes and takes up all the energy, impedes that forward momentum. And I use that just as a silly illustration, and I don't even know how good it is, to kind of get us into the general overview of what the book of James is all about. It's about taking us from where we don't even live in this kind of suspended ethereal, theoretic area of talking about our faith and life Christian experience and, and putting that rubber to the ground and realizing that there's all kinds of tension and resistance that, that fights against the forward momentum of the Christian life. And in the midst of all that we face and all that we experience James is showing us with, with this letter what it means to endure. What it means to endure in the real world. Sometimes we think, you know, I, you know the sermon, yeah, it was good, but it's just kind of up there. Well, sometimes we need the up there. Sometimes we need that, that doctrinal study, right? But, but orthodoxy always has to lead to orthopraxy. Right thinking always needs to lead to right living and realize that right living is lived out in the midst of a world at war. And not just a world that's at war, but, but we with hearts that by nature resist God. And so how do we endure? How do we keep pressing on? How do we keep laboring? How do we keep fighting? Recognizing that our life is not suspended up here, which is kind of wheels that just kind of spin away easy going. But recognizing that every day 
not just Monday through Saturday, even the Lord's Day, every day we, we are feeling that weight and that burden and that challenge to keep pressing on in the sufficient grace that our God provides. And so this evening, I, I'm just going to be very um, briefly, honestly, going over just broad brushstrokes as it relates to this book of James. But if you're not familiar with it, I'd encourage you to study it. Um, perhaps you're kind of in a spot in your family worship right now, or your family devotions, whatever you call it, um, and you're like, hey, what, what, what should we read? James. James is a great book to have and, and discuss all kinds of different things. It's a great book, and I would encourage the study of this book uh, to you here, uh, the members at, at Little Farms. Um, it's a great book, but it's a book that, that comes to us historically um, within the context of the Reformed community with a little bit of controversy. If you know anything about the, the, the book of James, you, you know that, that Martin Luther did not like the book of James. Not at all. We're grateful to the Lord for, for Martin Luther. We're, we're grateful that the Lord used him as an instrument in his hands to, to rediscover um, that doctrine on, on which the church rises or falls, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, all the solas of the Reformation. And that God used him by breaking him to see the wonder of grace. Free grace. He comes to James, he comes to James 2.24. If you look at James 2.24, if you have your, your, your Bibles open, you see what James 2.24 says. It says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And, and Luther comes to that and says, there is no way in the world you can reconcile 2.24 with everything that we've been fighting for throughout the rest of Scripture. So Luther calls the book of James, that right straw epistle. You ever go on a, a, a hay ride or something like that, and you, you get a piece of hay or a piece of straw kind of stuck under, you know, your, your shirt or something like that, and you're just like sitting there and you're itching, and it's like just irritating, like get it off my skin. And Luther's like, this is a right straw epistle. It irritates. It's not good. And as a result of that, he questioned it's placed even, even in Scripture. Should it even belong in Scripture? So we come to this study this evening, the book of James, understanding that, that it does have some level of controversy connected to it, even reformationally speaking. He said it ought not, therefore, then to be studied, because it doesn't support the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Other people have tried to kind of figure out, you know, what, what is the book of James about? What are, what are some of its general themes, its general understanding? And, and people have said that it should be viewed as the New Testament version of the book of Amos. And maybe we are not as good with our minor prophets as, as uh, we'd want to be. And you're like, well, okay, it's the New Testament version of Amos, whatever you say. Um, well, the book of Amos, if, if, if you remember, again, minor prophet, but if you remember, the book of Amos is about justice. Um, I want to say social justice, but I don't want to be accused of being a social justice warrior behind the pulpit here, which is a negative term that we um, hear bantied about in our current culture. But it's about justice. 
is about equity. Amos is preaching against those who had the affluence to afford their rebellion against God and suppress those who were the the have-nots. And when you come to the book of James, you see that's very much one of the themes that he brings out, this idea of justice. That's not just for kind of the left-leaning people that like to be on camera whenever something kind of happens or goes south in certain areas or in certain communities. They're for justice. We're for justice. We worship a God of justice. James is very particular. We even read a a, a number of things that, that, like, Interesting language, right? Verse 11 of chapter 1. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And he says that after verse 9 where he says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. He's like a flower of the grass. He's going to pass away. He's not pulling his punches. Chapter 2, he's going to address the sin of partiality. Oh, we, we, we want to make sure that the people who dress just right and the, the people who, who can contribute something to the budget that we just passed, that we passed in faith. Man, they could really help us out a lot more than someone who's, who's on food stamps right now and certainly doesn't look the part, doesn't, doesn't look like put together like, like we look put together. And James addresses that. Equity, justice. He ends chapter 5, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. You don't get that in every book of the Bible, do you? As a result, people have said it's kind of like the book of Amos in in that sense of, of justice. Others say the book of James should be viewed as the New Testament version of of the Old Testament uh, wisdom literature, the Old Testament wisdom literature, particularly um, the book of Proverbs. And and I think that that's probably the best place for for us to land in in having a kind of helpful understanding of the book of James. It comes with all kinds of illustrations. One of the things, again, I encourage you to to read it and study it, and, and, and if you do, just take note of all of the illustrations that he uses, just from nature and the natural world around. Like Here's an illustration, here's an illustration. Everywhere you look, you see all these illustrations of the God who's speaking in his word. So it's like the book of Proverbs in a sense. It's wisdom. It's wisdom literature. And while on one hand I go, you know, that's helpful. I, I believe that should be helpful for us in our study of, of this book. Um, but it can also be dangerous because I'm not sure that we always do good um, with wisdom literature. I, I don't know that we're always showing the best when it comes to wisdom literature. Be- because, because we end up thinking that, say, the book of Proverbs, right? That just whether you're a believer, whether you're an unbeliever, you know, it's just, it's just wisdom. They're just kind of sage words of advice. Kind of like, you know, uh, what is it? A, a, a penny saved is a penny earned. Or think of modern Proverbs, right? It's just, it's just good. It's just good wisdom. And so you come to, to the book of James, and it's just good wisdom. Whether you're a believer, whether you're an unbeliever, it doesn't matter. As my dad used to say to me, Jason, if you have two ears, you have one mouth. 
Now, there might be a great comeback for, for that statement, and I, I never had it. So if you have a good comeback, I'm still looking for a good comeback to that one, and I'll listen, because that's what my dad, Jason, this is the other one that I used to hear. A fish wouldn't get caught if it kept his mouth shut. Tim knows my dad, and Tim probably seeing my dad saying that to little Jason when he was about that, about, about that high, right? Those are Proverbs, just modern Proverbs. And, and so we come here to the book of James. Like He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Just nice advice. And see, that's what I'm trying to say is that we don't always do so well because we come to this and go, it's just, it's just good, good wisdom, good advice. And it is that, but it's way more than that. For example, wisdom literature, the book of Proverbs in particular, it's basically an explanation of the fifth commandment. So what's the fifth commandment? Fifth commandment's honor your father and your mother, right? That's the fifth commandment, correct? Right? No, it's not. Like, no, it's not. My Bible, it is. It is, but it's more than that. Honor your father and your mother that you may be live, live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's the fifth commandment. It's about living under the authority of God, listening to the authorities that he's placed, that it may go well with us in, in the land that he's given us. Preface to the Ten Commandments. You have the Ten Commandments out there, I believe. When I walked in, I think I saw the Ten Commandments. The preface to the Ten Commandments is, I have saved you. I have redeemed you. I have loved you. And the book of Proverbs is how we live out then that life in God's promise. Here's how you live out the promise. And here's how you live out the promise. And here in these simple, practical ways... The way of wisdom, the way of godly fear. Here is how you live. And so we have to understand wisdom literature, big picture. James, small. We need to see this as the practical outworking of our relationship to Jesus Christ. And see, one of the reasons that Luther gave for, for not liking the book of James. First is because he believed that it taught a doctrine of work salvation, 224. But second of all, Luther said, the book of James has, quote, no gospel character to it. The book of James has no gospel character to it. In one sense, I'd want to say, sure. The doctrine of justification, book of James, is never explained. There's, there's no teaching on the resurrection. There's no teaching on regeneration. There's no teaching on the incarnation. None of that. As a matter of fact, the book of James, the name of Jesus is only, I'm holding up one finger, but it's only used twice. Verse 1, chapter 1. James, servant of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first time. Second time that it's used, verse 1, chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the Lord of glory, sorry. Um, 
two times. That's it. Otherwise, name of Jesus doesn't appear anywhere. So there's no justification, there's no resurrection, there's no regeneration, there's no incarnation. Only kind of a passing mention of the name of Jesus. Luther says, there is no gospel character to this. And and to, to that I go, yeah, you're right. If that's how you determine what gospel character is, that it has to have that doctrine and that doctrine and that doctrine and that doctrine and, and multiple mentions of the name of Jesus. If that's how you define it, okay. But maybe that's not how we should define it. Because maybe that's not the purpose for which James wrote this letter. For which God inspired James to write this letter. That the book is not intended to be an explanation, but to show the application. Here's what it is to live in the power of the grace of Jesus Christ. Here's what it is to live in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's what it means to belong and to endure and to rest in this relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, where he puts this word is very important, this word Jesus. It's what begins the epistle, the letter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's setting the whole context for this book and understanding that the way that you live out this wisdom is not just by Keeping your mouth shut because fish don't get caught if they keep their mouth shut. So keep your mouth shut. How can I magnify the name of my Savior with whom I have a saving relationship? How are we going to endure? How are we going to bear fruit? What is that root to fruit? It is having a living relationship with Jesus Christ. The root that we take to bearing living, pleasing, acceptable fruit to Jesus Christ is to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And my greatest concern is that you just heard that as a throwaway statement from a pastor who has to have that line at some point in the sermon. That we look at that and hear that and go, duh. Of course, you need to have a relationship with with Jesus Christ. As I was uh, driving here, I was listening to a sermon by Alistair Begg. Probably some of you are benefited by his broadcast, Truth for Life. And, And he was talking about the fact that just because you're in the church doesn't mean that you're in Christ. In the same way that just because you're in the garage doesn't mean that you're in the car. You may be in the garage, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're in the car. Just because you're in the church doesn't mean that you're in Christ. And I don't know about OPC circles, but one of the things that's plagued us in our Dutch Reformed circles in the United Reformed churches, the churches from which we came when I grew up as a young boy in the Christian Reformed church, is assumption, presumption. Just assume that because I'm in the church, I therefore must be in Christ. Because I can define grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. Because I can define grace, I must be the recipient of grace. Because I can tell the story of salvation. 
that that means I know the power of God's salvation. And so as I did with my congregation this morning, I want to do with you now and just plead with you to make sure that you don't hear this as a passing comment or just a kind of Captain Obvious moment where another pastor says, but you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and flies over your head. In a moment, we're going to talk about some of James' favorite words. And I don't mention it there, so let me mention it here. One of his favorite words early on is the word deceived. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. He says it in this context. He's going to say it in other contexts. Don't be deceived. We need to know the power of God's grace in our lives. A power of God's grace that manifests itself in fruit. The fruit of the gospel. Kindness and gentleness and self-control and peace and patience. That's what we manifest. Because when we are not rooted in Jesus Christ, when we don't have that abiding relationship in Jesus Christ, we're lost. And therefore then what ends up getting lost is gospel mission. A gospel vision for Little Farms Chapel. The establishment of a community that's rooted in the gospel. And rather, instead of a community that's rooted in the gospel, we make it all about our unique particulars. About the unique things that we have always done. And we start talking about these things. Instead of gospel things. If I can use another Alistair Begg-ism. The main things need to be the plain things because the plain things are the main things. It all begins with that relationship in Jesus Christ which we cannot assume but desperately need to have. And that's where the book of James begins. This isn't just some kind of dismissive statement. This isn't some kind of, well, I'm going to write a letter to the churches and so I, I, I guess I, I better sound a certain way. Sometimes people are around pastors, and they're like, well, we're around the pastor, so we got to kind of sound a certain way. Well, I guess we're going to be talking to the churches, so I guess we need to sound a certain way. No, this is not a throwaway statement when James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, begins this way. Because what's he saying here at this point? He's saying Christ has become the singular focus of his life. Then begin by saying, by the way, I'm the half-brother of Jesus. And so I, I don't know what you guys boast in. <laughs> I don't know what you guys take your pride in. Like, oh, I know, so-and-so, big deal. I call Jesus my half-brother. Like, like, that's quite a competition that you're not going to win. That's not where he starts. He doesn't start with, with the accolades and, and the things that he can put out there in terms of whatever. He says, I'm a slave. A bondservant, a slave of Jesus. He's my master. You're probably familiar with the language of Scripture that you cannot have two masters. I remember, I remember hearing a sermon one time where, where he made it very clear to me because I had to be corrected on that. Because you hear that language, can't have two masters. Like, 
it wouldn't be wise to have two masters. Because, you know, you got divided loyalties. You're kind of serving this guy, kind of serving that guy. It's like, no, you can't serve two masters because it's impossible to serve two masters. Because it would defy the very definition of master. A master is someone who has complete and total, absolute control over everything. And if I'm saying, well, I'm going to have a divided loyalty, I'm going to give a little bit of loyalty over here, I'm going to give a little bit of loyalty over there, who's the master? Then I'm the master because I'm the one dealing out, you know, where I'm going to allow my control to be. No. He begins and he says, I am a servant, I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is master. He is that singular focus. And that's what puts in the context everything then that he goes forward to say in terms of how we deal with the friction and the tension of everyday life. He puts it in the context of an identity that we have of complete surrender and trust and loyalty to our elder brother who is king and ruler and reigner over all things. And this is how we endure, which is the driving theme of this book, bearing fruit in the midst of a world that wants to assault us on every hand. Some of James' favorite words here in this book, the word patience. Patience. Chapter 1, chapter 5. Perseverance, chapter 5, verse 11. Endurance, again, chapter 1 and chapter 5. The word patient, patiently, and establish, James 5, 7 and 8. And finally, how he concludes, by an encouragement to seek those who are wandering and struggling and not enduring. 19 and 20 of James 5. Just some of the words, right, that that are used to express and, and deal with this matter of that constant focus on Christ in our walk. Beyond this, you look at the subject matter that James deals with, the ideas, the illustrations, positively or negatively, with this whole idea of enduring and pressing on. How do you remain constant? Just look at this, just very quickly. Chapter 1, verse 9, you find your contentment in the Lord. Verse 16, you receive every good gift is from God. Verse 19, you make sure you're quick to listen and slow to speak. Verse 22, you're a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. Verse 27, you understand pure and undefiled religion before the Lord. Chapter 2, don't show partiality. Verse 14, chapter 2, understand that while we're justified by faith alone, that faith is never alone. That where there are roots, right, there are fruits. Chapter 3, verse 1, control your tongue. Find your meekness in God's wisdom. We can go to chapter 4, chapter 5. It keeps going and showing us this isn't just wisdom. Sage advice. Penny saved, penny earned. This is what it means to endure as the people of God that are not just living in some ethereal kind of world and life understanding. But it's rubber hits the road stuff. It's the real stuff. 
of the real world. And that is the gospel as well. The gospel is not just answering the question, how must I be saved? Absolutely, it is that. It's not less than that, but it is more than that. It's going on to say, but now how do we live? We have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Blessed be his name. And we want to sing to him. We want to pray to him. We want to worship him. We want to adore him. We, we, we gather in his name and we love him. We love worship. We love the church. But show us how to live for him. Because the flesh is weak. Spirit's willing. Means of grace. Teach us. Train us. And the reason why I just want to say that is because sometimes I, I think in our, in our communities, we think that sermons that are Christ-centered have to always like be Abraham with the ram in the thicket. And they go, and we all know that that ram in the thicket was pointing forward to the coming of Christ who would lay down his life for our sins. Shall we pray? Amen. Yes, Absolutely. We glory in how Christ comes in and fulfills the shadows. But if we think that that's all that it means to preach Christ, then you would have to agree with, with, with Luther and go, there's no gospel character to this book. It only mentions the name of Jesus twice. So just read it every now and again, but otherwise, by and large, ignore it. And absolutely not. Because it shows us how to live in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. To show us what it means to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. To live for the glory of Jesus Christ in a real world that's a real mess. Right? It is such a mess. Notice, and just very briefly, then we'll close in prayer. Notice how James ends this first verse. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's the context, there's the focus to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, to the, to the church that right now is scattered. It's not gathered. It's scattered. Why is it scattered? You know why the church is scattered. Because the church is being beat up and persecuted by the world. James setting the context for this letter, rooting it in Jesus Christ, that pathway to fruit that's born for Jesus Christ, says, I get it. I see it. I see where you guys are. I get the tension, I get the problems, I get the frustrations. I get the fact that you have gone through trials that, 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 have, that have led you not only to question God, but question if there is a God. To wonder why I even want to be around a bunch of happy people singing happy songs, because I think, frankly, life stinks right now. And I don't know how you can be happy right now. He begins by saying, I see it. I see that you've been scattered. I know life isn't easy. I know it's not just up here, the wheel's spinning away, spinning away. 
You know, I, I, I know the rubber has hit the road, and I know forward momentum feels real hard right now. That's why we need to come back to what it means to belong to Jesus Christ. So that, verse 2, we can count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. How, how, how do you do that? How? Because I'm all ears. Because we are scattered and it's a mess. And in that way, doesn't James sound like his brother, your brother, my brother, the one in whose image we're being remade, who comes to us and says, I see, I know. Now let me pastor, let me shepherd, let me lead, and let me guide. So that with the needlework, right, you, you just don't see the underside of the needlework and just see a bunch of knots and, 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 and mess, if you know what needlework is. Maybe I'm dating myself with that illustration. But you don't just see the knots and the mess under the needlework, but you see the flip side. You begin to see the message that it says. And that in seeing that message, you have comfort in which to live. So 30,000 feet, right? Just a little bit in verse 1. 30,000 feet. Obviously, this is what our church is going to be studying. I don't suppose you're going to be studying this. But read it. Study it. Look at the wisdom God gives you. To live for his glory. To live in his comfort. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you continue to use your ancient word and to speak that word to us. You take that never-changing word and speak it into our ever-changing world. And you use it to refine us and shape us and mold us and direct us even as you use us to live and shine for your glory in this world. Lord, some of our lives have felt like the roads on which we've been driving. It, it, it just feels not very steady underneath us. It, it feels like we're in the midst of a complete whiteout. and We don't even know if we're on the road. And, and we don't even know that we can see the lane. Continue to take the word from, from this pulpit that's preached and proclaimed and the studies that are had in the church and the, the catechism lessons and the Sunday school lessons and mold and shape and refine your people with gospel comfort so that we can go to the nations and offer and bring to them gospel hope that we ourselves know and have experienced and that we ourselves can teach. So Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this study just on, on one little verse in, in a much larger book. I pray, Lord, that you would use this for these dear people here at Little Farms and even my own heart as well as I preach this again to be molded and shaped to your likeness. 
can be used even now as we go forward into this week for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.